I had a quick announcement before we get started. He just sat down. He's sitting down right now. Charlie had a birthday, 87 years old, Juanita and Charlie. We want a happy birthday, Charlie. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of 1 Timothy. We are in 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you need a Bible, Calvin has got two or three in his hand. Just raise your hand and uh, he'll bring them right to your seat so you can follow along with us. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2. As you're turning there, maybe you've seen this uh, on your TV up there on the screen. Emergency alert system. Notice this one, the civil emergency message for your area until further notice. And the reason I put that up there is because this morning, we're in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to take the subject on the subject of the woman, the role of the woman in the church. And so uh, it's a hot topic today, isn't it? I mean, you, you hear a lot of it going on these days. And so, uh, you know, more and more churches are raising up women as, as lead pastors. And so I give this warning. So then after we're done, let me remind you, don't shoot the messenger, okay? I'm just the microphone being used by God to let him tell you what his word says concerning this subject. Okay, with that warning, I've warned you ahead of time. Let's start in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul's writing to Timothy. He says, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And like men are also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for a woman professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to be in your word in this place, Lord, where we can hear from you and what your heart has to say to our hearts. And so we pray, Lord, that we'd have receptive ears to hear all that you have for us this morning. We pro- Father, we pray if there's anyone here that has joined us that is yet to come into the saving knowledge of your Son, Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that they would see their need for a Savior and they would turn to you today. We thank you for this time. We ask your continued anointing upon it. We pray your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've shared this story before, but it's a good story, and, and, and I think you'll like it. It's called The Perfect Story. There's a perfect man who met a perfect woman. After a perfect courtship, they had a perfect wedding. Their life together was, of course, perfect. 
One snowy, though, stormy Christmas Eve, this perfect couple was driving along a winding road when they noticed someone at the roadside in distress. Being the perfect couple, they stopped to help. Well, there stood Santa Claus with a huge bundle of toys, not wanting to disappoint any children on the eve of Christmas. The perfect couple loaded Santa and his toys into their vehicle. Soon they were driving along, delivering the toys. Unfortunately, the driving conditions deteriorated, and the perfect couple and Santa Claus had an accident. Only one of them survived the accident. Who was the survivor? Answer, the perfect woman. She's the only one that really existed in the first place. Everyone knows there's no Santa Claus and there's no such thing as a perfect man. (laughs) A male's response, so if there's no perfect man and no Santa Claus, the perfect woman must have been driving. This explains why there was a car accident. Ann Landers wrote this one time. When a man says, honey, there are only two minutes left in the football game, it's the same amount of time as when the wife says, honey, I'll be ready in two minutes. The roles and the responsibilities of men and women in the church have been a source of controversy from the earliest days of the church's existence. The first century church at Ephesus evidently had some problems regarding the roles and the responsibilities of men and women. Women were being encouraged to take a more active role in directing the affairs of the church, even desiring to be teachers over the mixed congregation. So what is Paul's response? Pray. Pray. And then pray some more. It's for that reason we have just two points this morning. Number one, if you're taking notes, we'll see the importance of prayer in the church. And number two, we'll see the role of woman in the church. You might say, when discussing the role of woman in the church... You men better be praying. Anyway, number one, the importance of prayer in the church. Now, if you recall from last week, we looked at verses one and two. Let's read them again. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. See, Paul here is exhorting Timothy on the importance of prayer. We're not just to confine our prayers to just our little small circle, but our hearts need to go out to all men. We're we're to pray in a special sense for those who have been given responsibilities as rulers in all nations. It's God himself who's really divided the nations, and it's God who puts one man up and puts another man down. It's God himself who gives authority to different men, and those who are placed in position of leadership are responsible to act in accordance with the will of God. Now, they don't always do that. We know that. And in fact, many are not really concerned about acting in the will of God. But at least as Christians, we may help them by our prayers. We're to pray for kings and for for those in authority. Especially to pray for pastors when they come across teachings of the role of women in the church. Now, why do we need to be praying? Verse 2, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Then he says in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved, and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Prayer for everyone is good. It pleases God our Savior because the God who saved us wants the message of His salvation to reach all people. It's God's desire. It's God's heart that all men be saved by the knowledge of the truth of the gospel. So we pray that they can come to the knowledge of the truth. Now for that to happen, the truth needs to be taught. 
One of the biggest problems I see facing churches today is that no one wants to offend anyone. So in fear of losing people coming to their church, they avoid certain topics. So we're not going to talk about that. They certain, certain scriptures, you know, they just totally skip over. Yet the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 27 said, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. All of God's word. Pastor Lloyd Pooley of Calvary Chapel Obridge noted in this recent article I read, he said, Bible illiteracy is at an all-time high even among evangelical churches. Running on a few spiritual pop-tarts may provide temporary energy, but without the substantial diet of the Word of God, Christians will falter when the deeper challenges come. We need a balanced diet of Old and New Testaments taught faithfully and enlightened by the Holy Spirit of God. Sadly, in our Society today has gotten to the point where we allow culture to dictate what is right and what is wrong rather than God's Word dictating what is right and what is wrong. No one is standing up for what the Bible teaches about sin, about repentance, about self-denial. And yet when you think about the Ten Commandments written so long ago, uh, Ten Commandments to Moses, yet to the very, this very day, lying is still lying and lying is still wrong. You know, stealing, yeah, everybody's against stealing. We have laws against stealing. But why is stealing wrong? Because God said to us that stealing is wrong. God has given us principles in His Word to abide by. But the Ten Commandments also have things like, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, that's one commandment that we find that people really don't pay much attention to anymore. You'll find people with, with multiple marriages, but in reality, all it is is legalized adultery. There are those who call themselves Christians and think nothing of being involved sexually with someone outside of, of marriage. And so the whole mess we see culturally can be all traced back to our view of God and our view of God's Word. All traces back to that. God's revelation and His Word. Is there a God? Has He spoken? Does He have laws and principles? Absolutely. And they're found in His Word. Yes, we need to be men and women of prayer. That's important. But we also need to be men and women of the Word. Because, Paul says, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants His desires for men to be saved, women to be saved. But that begins, as Paul states, with prayer. That's why he's saying, pray for rules and those in authority. But most of all, pray for their salvation. And then, Paul reveals to us the only one we must turn to in prayer in order for our prayers to be heard. Look at verse 5. For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, I want to say this. There are some Bibles out there, uh, versions, I would say. I don't call them translations because they're not. They're versions of certain Bibles that push a gender-neutral Bible. And they, they want to promote, you know, this gender neutrality in, in the Scriptures. And, and on all the places where it says man or man, it's been altered to read them or humankind. And the reason they do this is to blur the different responsibilities in the church of men and women in order to be culturally re- relevant, in order to fit you know, what's on their agenda, what they want to promote. A classic example of this here is in verse 5, and I'm going to give you a couple more as we go along in the study. But in the contemporary English version, verse 5 reads, There is only one God in Christ Jesus is the only one who can bring us to God. Jesus was truly human. Okay, that's not what it says. There's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus was a man. He was truly human, but he was a man. So then, 
what is Paul saying here? Well, he says, when we go to prayer with our Father, we can only come by the way of Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. He is the one that bridged the gap between a holy God and sinful man by taking upon himself the sins of the world. We looked at this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, where John wrote, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. But he says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he's our mediator. Now we know that there is, within the Roman Catholic Church, a large push to proclaim that Mary, Jesus' earthly mother, is a co-redeemer or a co-mediator. Let me say this as nice as I, I can. Mary cannot mediate for anyone. Now understand, I don't say this to be harsh or to be mean or to be rude. I, I am telling you that this is very clear of what the Bible teaches. There's no biblical basis whatsoever to pray to Mary or to ask Mary to intercede for you to Jesus. I was taught, you know, growing up to ask Mary to pray for me. That's not biblical. Now, some may say, well, well, you don't understand. When we pray to Mary, that's just like you and I asking other people to pray for us. It's an intercessory prayer. You know, as a, as a kid, when we would go down to the beach, we'd looking for a parking place. My mom would always pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, help us find a parking space. You know, that, that was a prayer. Listen, I don't have a problem with intercessory prayer for someone, from someone that's alive, you know. But Mary, though she's in the presence of the Lord, she, she died. So have the saints of old that the old Roman Catholic Church prays to. And, and yet, the Bible has strict warning against, against trying to contact, you know, the dead. But secondly, and what's more importantly, is that Jesus never taught us once to pray to his mother. When the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. What did Jesus say? When you pray, pray like this. Go ask my mom first. No. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, I think the reason that many pray to Mary is because they have a false view about God our Father who loves them so much that he gave his only begotten Son to die for them upon that cross. But somehow in our culture, we have this picture of God the Father as this, this you know, this this. Drill sergeant in the Marines, you know, you know, and you're the measly private, uh, you know, and then you, then you got Jesus, but Jesus is way, way too busy, so we need to go to Mary first. Listen, if you want to talk to Jesus, talk to Jesus, okay? You want, you want to talk to him. If you want to get to the Father, then you go through the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the bridge builder. He is the mediator. He's the only one that died on the cross for you. He is the one that the world needs to know because there is no other salvation other by the name of Jesus. Peter put it this way to the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4 verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Mary didn't die for your sins. The other saints didn't die for your sins. Now don't misunderstand me. That's not to say that Mary wasn't an awesome, wonderful Woman, She was highly favored among women. She was truly blessed by God. But certainly the Bible doesn't teach that she's an intermediary between her son and us, or between the Father and us. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who, according to verse 6, gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That word a ransom for all means Jesus paid the price for salvation once and for all, doesn't have to do it again, for all of mankind, male and female. Then he says, to be testified in due time. In other words, 
to be shared the good news. It, it, it was meant for everyone. And that's exactly what Paul did. Look at verse 7. For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. See, by Paul using the word Gentiles here, he's referring to this universal audience that the gospel is intended for. God wants all to be saved, men and women alike. What is our part? Verse 8, I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere. Now, Paul started off this chapter telling us that he wants us to pray for these different types of people, those in authority. He tells us the different type of prayers we should pray, supplication, request. You know, and then told us when we pray, you know, we pray uh, through Jesus Christ to our Father, through Jesus Christ our Mediator. He desires when you pray that all men should be saved. But he gets specific here to the men in verse 8. I desire therefore that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now, I don't like to bring this up, but I'm going to do this just for the sake of our study. Again, in the contemporary English version, look what it says. I want everyone everywhere to lift innocent hands towards heaven and pray without being angry or arguing with each other. I thought what's being said here. Notice how they changed it. I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. God is saying, I want you men praying. You know, it's a sad thing that, that women are more ready to pray than men are. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's our, our male ego. Maybe it's just machoism. Maybe it's shyness. I don't know. But the fact is, women are more likely to pray than men are. And I don't know if you guys, if you've ever discovered this, man, that, you know, if you're married and, and you've had this experience, you, you know, you're talking about something with your wife and, 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 and all of a sudden she says to you, well, you need to pray about that right now. We need, well, you need to pray right now. Or you're lying in bed at night and she'll say, are you going to pray? Something in my sinful, prideful flesh says, don't tell me when to pray, okay? I'll pray when I'm good and ready to pray. Okay, I'm good and ready to pray. Let's pray. See, Paul is saying, men, take the lead. Pray. Do what God's called you to do. Be a man of prayer. And then Paul adds, we're to be praying everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Lifting up holy hands is symbolic that you're clean and right before God. You're surrendering your life to the Lord. Without wrath means that you're pursuing good biblical relationships with other people. Without doubting means that you're praying in faith that God will answer. To all these things, I say amen. So men, it's important that we pray. Especially right now because we're coming to point number two. The role of women in the church. Now as a pastor, I have to admit that if verses 9 through 15 were not in the Bible, I wouldn't be too upset about it because then we wouldn't have to deal with them. But they are in the Bible, and we take the whole counsel of God. So, so uh, you know, they don't really cause me any problems, but they do cause a lot of people problems. And here's the problem. The problem lies in the fact that we are not surrendered and submitted and committed completely to the authority of the Word of God. And instead, we get this idea that we need to be culturally uh, relevant. Postmodern world, postmodern culture, we should merge with the culture and allow the culture to dictate what is right and what is wrong. And when we do that, the church has caused great problems in the church today. You understand, I believe that the church should be culturally relevant in the way that we preach the gospel, in the way that we teach the word, in the way that we lead worship. But I do not believe that we should violate or steer clear from the principles that are clearly taught in the word of God. We need to be solidly grounded in the doctrines and the teachings of the New Testament 
and yet relate the word in ways that they can understand it best in the culture we're living today. And so again, let me say this, before we move on, we understand in all faith and practice that the Bible is the authority. It's, it's not the church, not the pastor, not the pope, it's not the priest, it's God and his word, the Bible. The Bible is God's word to you and me. It transcends our culture and it's applicable in every time and in every place all around the world. Now having said that and knowing that this is the word of God and knowing that you are men praying, verse 9, we read concerning a woman's role in the church. And like manner also, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. So Paul begins with the outside appearance. That word propriety there means that which does not bring shame. The word modest there means uh, it should be appropriate. In other words, dressed modestly is not to bring shame. Then he says, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. Now, I don't believe that this is teaching the forbidding of wearing jewelry or very nice clothes. I don't believe that this is teaching that a woman can't curl her hair or braid her hair or for a woman she can't wear makeup. As I've quoted J. Vernon McGee many, many times, if the bar needs painting, paint it. I didn't say J. Vernon McGee said it, but I do believe that if a woman is dressing in a way that draws undue attention to herself, not in modesty, not in inappropriately or unfittingly, then it crosses the line. Now here's the problem. The problem here is that it's subjective. So it's very difficult to determine, you know, well, that makeup is too much or that, that one isn't enough or that dress is too short or that top is too revealing. So here's what I believe our general principle should be. If you are a born-again woman, then what you wear on the outside should reflect who you are on the inside. Is that not what Peter says in, in 1 Peter 3, verse 3 and 4? He says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. See, there's no problem with that. He says, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Who you are on the outside should reflect who you are on the inside. Now understand that the culture of Paul's time, the whole reason he had to deal with this was because during this time in the Greek culture, prostitution was rampant. And quite often a prostitute was labeled by the way that they were dressed. And, and so Paul the Apostle wants the Christian woman to be distinct and not to be like the world. Now again, this is an area that's gray and subjective. And many godly ladies have been hurt, hurt deeply over being attacked by someone because of the way they were dressed coming into the church. We had a couple here years ago before they started coming to Calvary Chapel. Since, it, since then they moved back to California. But they visited a church down in Branson. And, uh, and after they were done with the service, on their way out, they were handed a sheet of paper with a dress code on it so when they want to return, what they needed to wear. I've heard of, of ladies coming to church and not being allowed to come through the doors because they're not wearing a dress to come into church. Man, that's so wrong. Now, let me say this. There, there are times when someone who is a Christian, we're not talking about non-Christians here. Non-Christians can come in however they want because we want them to hear the gospel, you know, well, not naked, I mean, but you know what I mean. I mean, they can come in, but, but you know, there is a point. But, but, but to the Christian who is, who is dressed in an inappropriate way, they should be lovingly spoken to, and if it's a woman, I believe they should be talked to by another woman. You know, the older woman should help the younger woman. Think what it is to be modest and, and wear what's appropriate. Let me say this, that should never come from a man to a woman. And you think, that's a no-brainer. 
And, and, and I would think that, but you'd be surprised that the men who feel that it's their responsibility to go and talk to a certain girl and criticize them on what they're wearing, when all along they just have a problem with lust and they're not dealing with it. The girl is absolutely fine the way that she's dressed. Now, with that said, you guys can study these verses on your own or pray and ask the Lord to show you what is appropriate and what is not. Now, this goes right along with what Paul is saying in verse 10 when he says, Wear that which is proper for women, professing godliness with good works. Again, let the inside of your life in Christ be reflected on the outside. Now, we come to verse 11. Men, you're still praying. And this is the word of God. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Have a great night. We're going to hit it. But see, these are the types of verses that make some people's hair stand up on the back of their necks. These are the types of verses that, that, that say, well, man is so outdated. What foolishness? How on earth could that be applied to our modern way of living? In fact, to quote the words from a woman pastor of a very large church in Australia, uh, she said this, when it comes to women and leadership, the church needs to come of age sometimes and just grow up. Now, in part, I think she's right. Let me explain. When it comes to the role of women in church, there have been many ladies that have been put down and discriminated against and treated as second-class Christians, all because they are a woman, and that's so wrong in so many ways. But when it comes to the, to the teaching and the pastoral ministry in the local church, God is very clear on, in His Word on what He commands. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but, but Paul is going to give us the reason why that for these things. He will tell us, first of all, because of the order of creation, verse 13, for Adam was formed first and Eve. And then because of the curse in verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. No place do we read there that the reason a woman is not permitted to teach or have authority over man is because it was a cultural thing. He says it's an issue of creation and the curse. Now go back to verse 11. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now that's, in the Greek, it's a, a command. It's an imperative. I mean, you, you can look it up. You can question it if you want to. You can do your own study. But in the Greek, it's what's called an imperative, which simply means it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And the command is this, that women learn in silence with all submission. Now let me say this. Let me begin by saying what this is not saying. Understand the idea is that, that it's not saying that women you know, cannot ever speak in church. I mean, could you imagine that? You know, the ushers say, well, welcome to Calvary Chapel, ladies. You're, you're not allowed to permit in, it's to speak in church and zip it up, zip, not a word, while you're here. That'd be horrible. That's not what it's saying. The word silence here has the idea of debating. He says that the women aren't supposed to argue or dispute or debate with the leadership of the church. Listen, women can sing, they can teach other women. In fact, 1 Corinthians, it says that women can prophesy. Praise God for us men that, that women can pray. But they're not to argue, they're not to debate. Now, when we study Corinthians, 
you know, it says to let the woman ask the husband at, at home and, and all of that. And, and a lot of the commentators say that it was, it was a cultural thing that way because of the synagogues and the way they were back then. And the, in that culture, the, the ladies would be on one side of the church and, and the men would be on the other side of the church. And, and while the, 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 the man was, was preaching, you know, and, and teaching the word, that, that the, the ladies would have a question to her husband and be going back and forth. And, well, I don't agree with that. And what do you think about that? And just disrupting the church. There's confusion going on. So Paul says to the Corinthians, wait till you get home, ask your husband the question, put the yelling across the room. That's the background there. So again, understand that this is not saying that the moment a woman walks into the church, she can't say a word. We would be an awful mess if that were the case. I mean, we would not have a children's ministry right now. We wouldn't have a women's ministry. We wouldn't have the encouragement ministry or the, or the mills ministry. All the ministry that we have going on here that the ladies are so much a part of would not, might not be here. No, what Paul is saying is that the woman in the church should, should, shouldn't debate or discuss things in an antagonistic kind of way. Rather, she should be in submission. It's the same principle found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, which says, Submitting to one another in the fear of God, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, one difficult verse down, one more to go. Verse 12. This one again causes more, more tension than verse 11. Says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence. Now, there are those that say, well, Paul is just wrong here. He's just wrong. But I go back to the way we started our study this morning. The Bible is the Word of God, it's, it's, it's having God's own authority, so the Bible cannot be wrong on this issue. But we need to understand this from the perspective of submission. This is a, a, her attitude of submission. And I do, not, I do believe that from this text we have the basis with other verses supporting and applied that we have a basis to teach that women are not to be teaching men in church. They're not to, to be in the office of a position of being a Bible teacher specifically over men. And I do believe that that eliminates and negates any idea that a woman can be a pastor. Now I know there are those who strongly disagree with that. The problem I have is I don't see how you can get around this verse right here. I don't understand how they would get around the scripture that's so clear. In fact, Paul will go on to say in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, that a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to, 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 uh, to teach. The, the man, the bishop, is a synonym for, for pastor or elder. It's always masculine. It doesn't say a person or, or, or human. It doesn't say that the, the bishop must be the wife of one husband, but the husband of one wife. But get this. There's those Bible versions that are out there. The more contemporary version, since it's the contemporary English version, listen to 1 Timothy 3, 2. You can look at it on the screen. I, you know, it says, That's why officials must have a good reputation and be faithful in marriage. They must be self-controlled, sensible, well-behaved, friendly to strangers, and able to teach. Do you see the difference there? Totally wrong. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospital, able to teach. They call uh, officials instead of bishops, and instead of a husband of one wife, it's faithful in marriage. Just twisting the word to get to say what they wanted to say. And sadly, some denominations have gone so far as to ordaining women as pastors, and I do believe that's unbiblical. Only two offices that, that we read about in the New Testament in the church, that is of the pastor, which you can call him a, a bishop or an elder, and that of, of the deacon. And they're all masculine. They're all filled by men. Look throughout the New Testament. That's what you'll find. Now, 
That doesn't mean that women cannot teach. In the book of Titus, we're told that the, the older woman should teach the younger woman and that they ought to teach them to love their husbands, to be chaste keepers of their home, obedient to their husbands. And I tell you again, I'm thankful for all the, the, the women involved in our children's ministry that do teach the children. I said already, without them, we would not have a children's ministry. Let me tell you, I've also had the privilege of sitting in on some of the women's studies and the retreats, and I've been totally blessed by the gifts of teaching that God has given some of the ladies in our fellowship. I know that God would not give them a gift like that if it weren't meant to be used. But in the pastor-teacher leadership role in the church and teaching men and teaching Sunday morning, Wednesday nights, it should be not be a woman. Now let me add this. It's not a social ban. A woman can teach men in a college class. A woman can be an authority in your place of business. We're talking strictly about spiritual matters in the church. Now you may ask, does this preclude all women from having any ministry in the church? Not at all. I mean, women in the Bible serve as many different things and many different ministries. Moses' sister Miriam was, was both a prophetess and a worship leader. She led worship. Deborah was a prophetess. Uh, Philip in the New Testament had three daughters, and, and they were all prophetesses. Now, I know there's all kinds of, well, what about this, and what about that, and what about this? And people can get all worked over it. We just got to take God at his word. I, I had a lady that, that um, came up to me once. We were in a restaurant. This was years ago. And, and uh, we had just sat down and prayed for our food. And I got up to get a napkin after we were done. And, and this lady said to me, she, said, oh, she stopped me. She grabbed my arm and she said, oh, I noticed that you were praying. Are you a pastor? Yeah, I am. Where do you pastor? pastor over at Calvary Chapel. She says, oh, Calvary Chapel. Well, you know what I have against Calvary Chapel? They, they, don't, they don't ordain women ministers. And she started arguing with me. I said, ma'am, I don't even, I, well, I wanted to say, ma'am, I don't even know you, okay? I mean, and the first thing you say to me is how you, you don't like Calvary Chapel because we're teaching the Word of God. I didn't say anything. I'd smile and just turn. I avoided the argument. But, but, but listen, I want to follow as close as I possibly can to what the Bible teaches the New Testament church should be like. And, and if you disagree, that, then maybe this isn't the church for you. But if you want to know what God's Word says, and you want to be a part of a church that, that desires to know God, and to know God's Word, and obey God's Word, then, then this is the place for you. See, this is what God wrote. Again, I'm just the messenger. I recently read that one mainline denomination states that Paul was just saying a woman could not teach at this specific church in Ephesus because that church in Ephesus was having the problem but other churches, it's okay to teach at. It's crazy. If that were the case, then why does Paul now give the biblical reason for, for it going back to Genesis? Look again at verses 13 and 14. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Again, it's the order of submission because of creation. Look at it this way. If a married woman were to be the pastor here at the church, and so here at the church, she would have the authority over her husband. But then we would go home, and you'd have to reverse the roles. What kind of confusion would that bring? He's the head all the way to the church. But as soon as they get to the church, she's the head. I've shared this before many times. Anything with two heads is weird, and it's ugly. Okay. And the same thing, the design that God has given to the family, he's given to the church. It doesn't mean that women are less intelligent or inferior to man, because in Every, every area in the relationship with God, women are absolutely equal with men. 
Both men and women are capable of having the same intelligence and the same IQ. Some of the women are the finest thinkers of the world. They've been women. The myth that men are greater than women has to be dispensed with. It's purely archaic. And when it comes to genders, God does not discriminate. We know that. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Think about this. The greatest truth on which the gospel hangs is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.14, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. If that was so important then why in heaven's name did Jesus reveal himself first to the woman to go and tell the message? Do you see? To, to the woman first. The entire testimony of the risen Lord hinges on the woman that God entrusted to carry the gospel message to the disciples and then to the world. Or when the woman was there with the alabaster ointment came and she, she anointed Jesus and there were those that were complaining about her. Jesus looked at them and said, Be quiet. Wherever this gospel is preached, so will this be told what this woman has done to me in worship. He gave her the greatest compliment ever that when this gospel would be carried to the ends of the earth, so would the story of what this woman did in, in faith as well. Or when Jesus went to Samaria and he sees the woman there at the well and she's broken, shattered marriages. She was ethnically barred from society, married five times and, and, and Jesus called her to be the first evangelist to the Samaritan world. And she did. What an incredibly gracious God that reminds us that not one of us is superior to the other. We all have the same privilege of taking our distinctives and complementary strength in sharing the message of the gospel to the world. And I can tell you this, I would never be here today if it weren't for the strength of my wife. To see her overcome so much adversity in her life while showing so much joy and love for the Lord, it blows me away but it keeps me going and it helps me to keep my eyes on the Lord. I mean, think about this. The last thing that Jesus said upon the cross, the redemption of mankind, Jesus looked at this young man there and said, hey, don't forget about my mother. Make sure she's taken care of as the sword was piercing through her heart. That is our Lord who treats all of us with intrinsic worth and reflective splendor. Thank God for the beauty he has created in womanness. God loves them equally. God redeems them equally. And they have a relationship with God just as intimate and just as personal as any man on planet Earth. In fact, I think many women have a closer relationship with the Lord than most men do. With that said, Paul finally closes out this chapter with another verse that has caused much confusion. Look at verse 15. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Now, if you read commentaries about this verse, you will find all sorts of different ideas. It's pretty amazing. If you go talk to some of the older pastors and ask them about this verse, they'll come up, some of them come up with mostly, it works both ways. Some of them come up with the same result. Well, they'll tell you, I have no clue what it means. I have no clue. I don't get it. Uh, you know, but let me tell you what some of them are saying. Some say that this verse means that Christian women will never have difficult, uh, difficulty in pregnancy. Yeah, right. We know that's not the case. Godly Christian women have, have died delivering children. Others say that if a woman has a baby, then they will go to heaven. Now, that's just as ridiculous. Can't do anything to earn your salvation. Not even childbirth. 
But let me say, if you could, that would be up there in the top ten, let me tell you. The Bible says we're not saved by works, you're saved by grace. Another popular view is that childbearing is a reference to the birth of Christ, and that Mary bringing forth the Messiah, Mary as a woman, God used to bring Jesus into the world through the womb of Mary, so that through the childbirth, woman can be saved. Now that one's not unbiblical, and it's beautiful, and I don't think that's wrong in what, what Paul is saying here. But, I think there's another way of looking at it. See, the word saved here doesn't necessarily mean, nor does it have to mean saved in the sense of spiritually or to salvation. Several places in Scripture the word saved is used in a physical or in a temporary sense. Saved from danger, saved from fear, saved from something else. A good example of this is found in 1 Timothy 4.16 where Paul says, Take heed yourself unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Paul's not saying, Timothy, well, if you stay in God's word, then, 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 you know, then you'll be able to save your soul. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if you, if you stay in God's word, you know, you, you, you'll, you'll stay in a safe place from hassles that come from people that don't know the Lord. And, and he'll help save those who are in difficult situations in their life if they continue in the word, applying the word of God to their lives. But it's not talking about salvation to the soul. Let me give you the best understanding of this verse that I can and, and uh, and, and there are others that hold the same view. The best understanding I feel the most comfortable with in context where it says, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. Now, I could be wrong, but what I believe this is saying is that a woman will find her fulfillment, her direction in life, her place in childbearing and raising kids. I believe that's what it's saying. And you may say, well, what about women who can't have children? Listen, God knows all about that. She can get together a bunch of kids in Sunday school. She can have spiritual children and teach them and find fulfillment in that. Many great women were involved in orphanages and helping children. Look at the late Mother Teresa. So I believe this is what Paul is saying because of the fact that he just listed things that women can't do. But nevertheless, she will find herself in childbearing. She'll save herself from, from, from frustration if she does what God has called her, her to do and quit trying to do what God has not called her to do. God has not called you to be a pastor or to teach men, but you're going to have great fulfillment in, in raising your children. You're going to find great fulfillment in so many other ministries when you focus on what God has opened up for you to do, not what men can do. You see, if we as a men, as men, do that which God has called us to do, to be those leaders in the church, to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and if, as Christian women, you are submitting to your husband as unto the Lord, and allowing him to be that spiritual leader in the home. If you're moving forward to doing what God has called you to do, and not what he hasn't called you to do, then we will both have, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as Paul says in verse 15, we will both be able to continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. We'll get along. It'll work just fine. Everybody in their place doing what God has called us to do. Amen? That wasn't so bad, right? We now return to, to your regularly scheduled programming. Had this been a real emergency, you would have been instructed what to do. Listen, this has been a, 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 a kind of a, a family meeting here, talking about the roles in the church, talking about how things are to be in the family of God. And if you happen to be new here this morning, and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to know that He loves you, and He, and he has a plan for your life, and he, he sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. And if you believe what He's done for you, Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You can have your sin forgiven. You can be a part of the family of God. 
If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, come up and talk to one of the elders up front as soon as service is over. We'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible and let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your word never changes. Lord, it's true yesterday as it will be true tomorrow and forever. Now, Lord, the problem is that we need help in in applying it and obeying it, Lord. And we pray for that, Lord. Father, we also pray, Lord, that that we would not be judgmental upon those that that hold other truths to this, Lord. That would, in in you know, in, in grace and in truth, Lord, lovingly, we may may share with them, Lord, where they err in that, Lord. But help us not to be those of anger and 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 coming down hard on people, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would continue to use. Uh, men and women in our church, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for the gifts that you've given the ladies here in our church. And I pray that you'd raise up even many more women here to do the work of the ministry that you've called them to do. And for us as men, Lord, that we would be those that are praying everywhere all the time. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your grace, your mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll do one last song together.